0: We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Hi, everybody.
1: This is Dr. Anna Murad. I'm the newborn nursery director and past infant medical director for TipQC, and really excited to have Dr. Anna Messner join us today. She's one of the authors of the American Academy of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery Consensus Statement on Ankyloglossia. Welcome, Dr. Messner. We're very excited to have you talk to us today.
2: Why, thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. As we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am currently a professor of otolaryngology, head and neck surgery at Baylor College of Medicine, and I work at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, Texas. I've been here for about five years. Previously, I spent many years at Stanford University at the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital at Stanford, which is where I first developed my interest in in, uh, tongue tie.
1: So tell us a little bit more about that. How did you become interested in tongue ties?
2: So when I first went to Stanford as a brand new junior faculty member who was the only pediatric otolaryngologist there, I had a couple of patient experiences that got me interested in the subject. So the first was a mom who came to clinic with a newborn who was having issues with breastfeeding and asked me to clip the tongue. And I said, well, I guess we could do that. But this is, frankly, about 25 years ago, I said, but we would need to go to the operating room to do that. And she was very upset about that and just super angry. And I didn't understand because in my residency, that's all we had ever considered doing and usually in older kids. Then I had an older patient, about four years of age, who was quite tongue-tied and had some speech articulation issues. And one of the speech pathologists called me up on the phone and just blew me out saying, how could you ever consider clipping a tongue? We never do that. Why would you do that? So that was also, I was like, what is going on here? So the third thing was that I had twins, both of whom were quite tongue-tied, what we would now call a very anterior tongue tie, type one tongue tie. And a friend of mine came over when they were about a month old and who was an ENT, and she commented on it. And I had been noticing it. And at that point, I was uh, working on the breastfeeding. It wasn't easy, obviously, because it was twins in particular. I mean, it's never easy, but it was particularly tough at that point. And so I ended up clipping the tongues, and it did help with the breastfeeding, at least for me, that I thought. So I, of course, being an academic, I did a full literature search. There was almost nothing out there on it. And then I began to do a series of studies to try and figure out how, what is tongue tie? When does it affect children? And when should we be intervening and operating on the frenulum? So that's how I got interested in the subject many years ago.
1: Definitely a personal connection there.
2: Yes. Well, those are the those are the areas where you really drive. It helps drive your academic interests and exactly. keeps you going.
1: Yeah, for sure. Tell us a little bit about the consensus statement and how it came together and who worked on it.
2: So the consensus statement was put out actually in 2020 by the American Academy of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery, and it came about because. The members of the AAO, American Academy of Otolaryngology, had been asking the organization to please come out with something having to do with tongue tie in children because the members were seeing so many kids referred to their offices with tongue tie and all sorts of, is this anterior tongue tie? Is it a posterior tongue tie? What should we do? Do we need to do anything? And there were really no guidelines out there. And they considered doing a formal guideline, but when the literature was examined, there really wasn't enough literature at that point in time to do a formal guideline. So the next step down is to do what they call an expert consensus statement, where you gather a group of experts. And in this case, the experts were many pediatric otolaryngologists throughout the country, working at different institutions, all of whom treated children with tongue tie you gather them and you do a serial set of questions and voting to try and see where there was consensus and where there was not consensus. So that's how it came about in an effort to give the members of the American Academy of Otolaryngology some kind of guidance on how to take care of these patients.
1: It does feel like, because I've been practicing for quite a while now, and it it does feel like this is an ever-expanding constant growth subject where you just hear about it constantly, what do you think is driving the current interest in tongue ties?
2: Mm. I don't think there's any question that interest in the subject has exploded, absolutely exploded over the last 15 years. And I think it's it's a number of things. Remember in the mid 20th century, there was a decrease in the number of women who were breastfeeding. And there was even a stage where people were promoting bottle feeding with formulas being better than breastfeeding, uh, sad to say. But over the last 20, 25 years, there's been a resurgence in breastfeeding. And as there has been a resurgence, then the increase in tongue tie has increased. The idea that tongue tie could affect breastfeeding is not new. If you look back, we actually have some wood blocks and pictures from the 1600s, believe it or not of a baby being swaddled and the tongue being clipped with scissors. And the idea was to do that in a baby, obviously, to promote the breastfeeding. So the idea is not new. But I think that the resurgence of breastfeeding has really driven the interest and increase in babies that are being evaluated for ankyloglossia. Other factors is the growth of the specialty of lactation consultants Way back when, there really wasn't weren't many lactation consultants, and now they're kind of a standard part of every newborn nursery, which is great. And then also, just general, in addition to the interest in breastfeeding, the interest in breastfeeding for a longer period of time, and also increasing social media concerns about potential long-term effects of tongue time. So social media is the third factor that in the last 10, 15 years has really driven the growth of interest in the area.
1: One of the things I struggle with is knowing when a mom is not having issues in the hospital, she's not having nipple pain, but the family wants to know what's the longer term impact. What do we know about the natural history, the impact or anything long term about ankle glossy or tongue ties?
2: So... Unfortunately, there aren't any great prospective studies that look at tongue tie over time, unfortunately. And it's not surprising because they're very hard to do. You would have to follow children over many years. But we do have a couple of older studies that did a survey of of several hundred children between the ages of 6 and 12 and just looked at the incidence of tongue tie in that group. And they found it was about 2%. Now, if you look at the newborn studies, frankly, the estimate of, of the incidence of tongue tie is all over the place. But in general, people think it's somewhere between about 4 and 10%. So if the newborn incidence is 4% and 10%, but when they're 6 to 12 years old, it's down to 2%, it makes you think that a lot of these kids do get better over time. In other words, their lingual frenulum stretches. And, and they don't really have a noticeable tongue tie as they get older. But we don't know how often that happens and to what kids that happens, which makes it difficult. A big part of what we get into here is the definition of tongue tie, because the definition of tongue tie has definitely changed over the last 10 years. There is something what we call the classic tongue tie, which would also be people describe as anterior tongue tie, where the lingual frenulum, which is a totally normal structure, everybody has a lingual frenulum. Just because you have a frenulum does not mean that you have tongue tie. But when the lingual frenulum attaches to the tongue tip and it attaches to the alveolar ridge of the mandible, when it attaches there tightly, that is called the classic or anterior tongue tie. What's changed over the last several years is that people now describe something called posterior tie, where there is a lingual frenulum that is tethering or thought to tether the tongue, but it doesn't extend to the tongue tip, and it may or may not attach to the mandible. I apologize. It's kind of hard to describe. It's something that's better to see with a picture. But the difference in what is a tongue tie or the evolution of describing what is a tongue tie is part of, I think, what has driven the increase in the diagnosis of tongue tie, which has no doubt gone up dr- drastically.
1: Yeah, I always think more in terms of function when you are talking about anything other than the anterior. You know, I just think it's, it's, you've got to feel. You've got to actually see what the tongue
2: function is to be able to. So it
1: is very difficult to describe with words. What are your thoughts
2: about lip ties? First, I just want to totally agree with you that it comes down to function. And when you're evaluating these kids, especially the babies, you really have to look at how they are able to move the tongue and lift the tongue. As far as lip ties, well, there are enough studies out there that show that tongue ties do seem to affect breastfeeding and the efficacy of breastfeeding in at least some women. Not all. Some babies with tongue ties, they're able to breastfeed just fine. They don't need anything. But... For many women, it does seem to help if the lingual frenulum is cut or lysed. Some folks out there have thought, well, if this helped, then maybe if we cut the upper lip tie or called it a lip tie, the upper lip frenulum, where the upper lip is attached to the superior alveolar ridge, maybe that would help breastfeeding too. And there's a lot out there, oh, the lip has to flip out if it doesn't. That could be affecting things, but the gooder, the better studies out there right now show that it really doesn't make any difference. So perhaps there is the rare baby where it's interfering with breastfeeding, but that is actually quite rare, if present at all.
1: Yeah, I really think in terms of the upper lip tie, the bifurcated gum. You know, I could see where that maybe would be tight enough, but it is—it's hard to figure that that causes a huge problem for most babies. We are seeing more and more buccal ties being clipped around here. And I'll be honest, I'm not entirely clear on why those would play a huge role. Do you want to speculate a little bit on that or if those are even impactful?
2: No. They, and actually, I think this is really, to be quite frank, I think it is awful that people even consider doing any kind of surgery on these buckle ties. And a buckle tie is just a normal mucosal fold of the cheek mucosa. They are totally normal. They have never been shown in any study to make any difference with breastfeeding or anything else. And frankly, I think it is almost borders on cruel to cut these ties because then you can get scarring and frankly, the babies will have pain in their mouth as a result. So the in the consensus statement, it was very clear that all of us thought that any kind of surgery on the buckle tie was not indicated. It is simply never indicated. The consensus statement group was interesting because everybody agreed. And we had several points where we agreed where doing a frenotomy, which is cutting the lingual frenulum, is indicated for babies with breastfeeding issues, particularly latching on but where we really had difficulties, we as a group could not agree on anything having to do with posterior tongue tie or the, even the definition of posterior tongue tie, we couldn't agree. on. So there is still a lot of controversy out there, one of which is with posterior tongue tie, one is lip ties, which many don't even think exist, and the buckle ties, which I am absolutely convinced do not exist. These are normal structures.
1: I think that's helpful to hear and hopefully we'll give parents some guidance on as they're thinking through these issues. What about ancillary treatments like craniosacral therapy, also called body work, or chiropractory adjustments, or fill in the blank? Like, what are, are there any of these things that have been shown to be efficacious? They can be quite expensive and a lot of our families really want to do something. Is there anything out there that's been shown to be helpful?
2: The increase in tongue tie is increased, particularly with newborns. There have been many practitioners who have developed a business related to the tongue tie. And we know that doing a frenotomy, which is cutting the the tongue frenulum, is helpful for many women and many babies who are trying to breastfeed. But there have been these adjunct things like, oh, let's go do myofascial therapy or first you need to go see the chiropractor to get ready to do the tongue tie. Clipping or something like that. And frankly, I think, I hate to say it, but I think there are practitioners out there that are taking advantage of the increased interest in tongue tie. There is really no good evidence. Now, there are people that write opinions all the time, and social media is a huge driver of this. And I think it falls in the category of baby massage. Yes, interacting with your baby is fine. It's great, but I don't think that craniosacral therapy or myofascial therapy or chiropractic adjustments have been shown in any way, shape, or form to be beneficial for these babies. And frankly, they can be very stressful for the families because they are expensive and insurance typically does not cover them because, again, there is no evidence that they help in any way.
1: That's helpful. I think... um It's always one of those things you want to do the best that you can for your child, right? And so sometimes you want to know that you're spending it well.
2: To Um, be honest, I've actually even told families, look, take that same money and go put it in a college fund for your baby.
1: Nice. All right, so this is another struggle. What's the best timing for clipping? We know that babies are working on their latch when they're in the hospital. You've got new moms who may not know a lot about positioning who really need to work with lactation. And how do you know what the best timing is for these clippings or the
2: phrenotomy? So in general, the best timing is actually as soon as it is diagnosed. And again, this involves evaluating the baby and evaluating the tongue tie and looking at how well the latches or how quickly the baby can or how easily the baby is able to elevate and protrude the tongue. The idea is that you want to try and establish good breastfeeding as soon as possible, because if the mom and baby are both frustrated over a long period of time, there's a higher chance that the mom will abandon breastfeeding. So this is part of the reason I get frustrated with people that say, oh, you have to have this special type of a treatment for a few weeks before we do the clipping. No, if there really is time tie, it should be taken care of right away to maximize the chance of beneficial breastfeeding, not wait a long time.
1: What do you think about waiting and doing it at the end of the first week or the end of two weeks? You really I think that's like hospital. I think that's
2: fine. I mean, you know, if you, I think there is no problem with that cuz everybody takes a little while to get used to the breastfeeding. I think my objection comes when I see people saying, "Oh, we'll come back in a month and we'll do it then."
1: Completely agree with that. Yeah, it's just hard to know in the first, you know, we have a length of stay of 2 days. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, what you can tell in 2 days, but it really is difficult to sort of make those judgments sometimes and so I mean, It you know, is. And I think there yeah. was a study that looked at sort of that conservative waiting, working with lactation to see over that very brief period right after birth. And you've, it sounds like you feel like that is appropriate.
2: I think that is totally appropriate.
1: Yes. And then the ever-lasting debate over laser versus scissor. Any differences there?
2: Well, the good news is that they both work. Laser is often promoted as being, oh, it's, got to, it's laser, so therefore, it's high-tech, so it should be better. And people in the States really love the laser, and it is being used, frankly, as a marketing tool to families of, oh, come and see us because we have the laser. But I personally am not a fan of the laser. There has never been shown to be any definite outcome that has improved as a result of the laser. In fact, I think the laser is less, I don't think it's as good as the scissor for anatomy simply because a laser is a, is a cutting tool that burns. And we all know that if you cut your finger, it hurts when you cut it. But if you burn your finger, it will continue to hurt for the next few days. So when you use a laser, you're actually burning that area. It does have the advantage in that there is, basically no blood at the time. Whereas with a scissor phrenotomy, there is usually a little bit of blood that stops within a minute or two, a little bit of bleeding. But in general, I am not a huge fan of the laser. And I particularly get frustrated with folks that are using it as a marketing tool to get families to come to them. Similarly, along the group that loves the laser, if you go online, there are lots of recommendations out there for after you have to do therapy before and after the procedure, for example, lifting the you know the mother or the parent or caretaker is supposed to put their fingers in the baby's mouth and lift the tongue up, say every four hours for the next month after the procedure. And the goal is to prevent scarring, but no one has ever showed any advantage to doing that. And it really is difficult for the babies and the moms because typically the babies will cry. It is painful for them. Some of the recommendations are even to rub underneath the tongue. And think about it. Where else in the body do you rub something to get it to heal? No, don't do that. And we worry about the develop developed oral aversion where then they don't want anything in their mouth. So I would avoid those exercises. The tongue is very, it's self-healing. And the baby lifts the tongue naturally every time the baby cries and moves the tongue every time the baby feeds. You don't need to do those exercises. I
1: always tell families, like, think about when you bite your lip. I mean, think about how quickly that heals. Your mouth heals so fast. Speaking of which, do you want to hit briefly on the risk of doing phrenotomies?
2: So the good news is it generally is a very safe procedure, no matter what tool you use. And the babies heal fairly quickly. But there are risks with any kind of procedure. And so you don't want to just do a procedure to do it. And so there is a risk of bleeding very briefly after the procedure, but rarely that could be a longer-term issue. There is the risk of an infection in the floor of the mouth because you are cutting the lining of the mouth, so that can introduce bacteria. There is the risk of scarring afterwards, although usually it is better than the initial time-time, but theoretically there is the risk of scarring. Those are the big ones that people worry about.
1: Makes sense. Do you have evaluation tools that you
2: think are more helpful than others for they waiting for a tie? So older kids, like if you have a seven-year-old or eight-year-old, someone like that, then it's easy. You can get them to stick out their tongue, try and lift their tongue tip, move the tongue side to side. They can just move the tongue on exam and it's easy to see whether they are tethered or not. Babies, it's a little bit harder. So my... My favorite tool is called the BTAT, or Bristol Tongue Tie Assessment Tool. It was developed by some nurse practitioners, I believe, in England who take care of a lot of babies, and it has simple measures. So is the tongue tip rounded? Where does the tongue tip attach? Does it attach to the alveolar ridge, the jaw, or does it attach to the floor of the mouth? How easily can the baby lift the tongue and how easily can the baby protrude the tongue? And it's a very simple, straightforward scoring tool that makes it quite clear about when you do it, whether the tongue is tethered or not and helps with the decision-making on whether to do a phrenotomy or not. How about you? Do you use one particular tool? I
1: know. I think it it really is more about tongue function. So I, I really... I think of the oral, I do hundreds of oral assessments and I really think that that's that's probably my best tool. Lots of actual assessments of tongue movement. So tell me, what are we missing when we're looking at the literature, when you're thinking forward as to what would help inform us with next steps? What would be your ideal? You could set up any sort of research study to look at next things.
2: I think that... We definitely need more science, first of all. And there are a couple areas. First of all, the whole area of posterior tongue tie is still extremely controversial. And in our group for the consensus statement, it varied from some people who said it simply doesn't exist to other people who are like, no, it does. But people's definition of posterior tongue tie and when it is a factor is very important. And I don't think we have good prospective studies. We have good prospective studies for anterior tongue tie, but not posterior tongue tie. So that's one area. And then the other area, interestingly, is it actually applies to older kids. People worry that if there is a lingual frenulum, it's going to affect how kids learn to talk. And the studies that are coming out, the better studies, show that it really doesn't make much difference at all, like no difference. But there's still a lot of controversy in that area as to when it is an issue. And so I think we need much better studies in that area, too.
1: It really is a fascinating topic. Anything else you want to share with our listeners? We really appreciate you being here today.
2: No, I think it is a great topic. And I appreciate the invitation to talk with you all. I think the key points to remember are that A tight lingual frenulum can definitely affect breastfeeding. And if that is the case, it's a good idea to undergo an evaluation to consider whether that tongue frenulum needs to be clipped in the newborn period. But not all tongue ties need to be clipped and definitely not all lingual frenulums need to be clipped. Well, Thank you
1: so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you
0: for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T I P Q C.org, and click on Podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team.